Welcome to the Big Book Roundtable in the RICO 12 family of recovery resources targeted at people from all backgrounds, faiths, and place de places dealing with addictions of all varieties. My name is Justin B. I am a son of an all-powerful, all-loving God and a recovering addict. I'm grateful to be living in miraculous recovery as I strive to live the principles laid out in the Big Book of Recovery and working with others and you know, working this program. I'm joined today by David G. and Nikki M., and we're excited here. To, to be together to read and swim through the big book with you. Nikki, why don't you take just a second and introduce yourself? Well, good morning, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are. Uh, I'm Nikki M and I'm a grateful member in Toronto, Canada. And I'm just, I'm just excited to be here. And as you always say, snorkel through this uh, Bible for survival called the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you. Thanks, Nikki. David, introduce yourself, please. Yeah, absolutely, Justin. Thank you. My name is David G. from Oklahoma. I am a grateful recovered alcoholic and an addict of many sorts. Um, grateful for recovery date in Alcoholics Anonymous of August 8th, 1994, and emotional recovery date in SA of October 1st, 2019. Really glad to be here today. Thank you. Thank you, David. We're happy to have you here. Okay. So today we're going to pick up reading uh, where we left off last time. Last time we read most of what we, what we read were the words of Dr. Uh, Silkworth in the doctor's opinion. We're continuing in the doctor's opinion chapter, but we're going to read a little bit of um, uh, an interim writing that Bill W. put in here saying, hey, this this was important to us. And, and then uh, uh, Dr. Sil Silkworth will write another letter for us. So I'm going to get into that reading. We're going to be on page XXVI, which is Roman numeral 26, and we'll read um, just about a page today. So <clears throat> get into this reading, and here we go. The physician who, at our request, gave us this letter has been kind enough to enlarge upon his views in another statement which follows. In this statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality or were outright mental defectives. These things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent with some of us, but we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. The doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. As laymen, our opinion as to its soundness may, of course, mean little. But as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that his explanation makes good sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. Though we work out our solution on the spiritual, as well as an altruist, altruistic plane, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached, as he has then a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. All right, so that's the reading that we're going to be discussing, commenting on, and getting uh, different perspectives of. Nikki, I'll have you start us off today. What were some of the takeaways that you that jumped out at you as we were reading through that? Thank you, Justin, and thank you, David. And I'm just so grateful to be back in this magic book and that shows me I'm not alone, number one. I'm not alone because it says, we who have suffered alcoholic torture. And my line out always reminds me because I sponsor a lot in 
uh, Al-Anon. That's how I found my way into the rooms because don't you know it's everyone else's problem but me? And if I could only, if you're better, then I'm better. And then I slowly realized that I'm the problem, of course, but it is a family disease. And, you know, it says abnormal mind. Not only do we have an abnormal body, but we have an abnormal mind. And that, you know, on page 23, the book tells us further on that this disease centers in not only my mind, everyone's mind. I mean, any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. So everyone I know, if they're not in that mind of higher consciousness, we're not, we're not normal. And then I love, I love here, cause this is, you know, David gets into a lot of the history and I love that, but I get into a lot of experience, strength and hope. And this is what happened to me. I had to be separated because um, it says right here, favors hospitalization. My line out says separated. What does that mean? Cause if you have a, if you have a process addiction, if you have a love addiction, if you are like me sleeping with a married coworker at work and you're in an isolated space and there's nowhere to go and you'll lose your house and your home if you lose your job. I mean, it goes deep for me, Justin. I'm the, I'm the sole supporter. It can get real ugly for a lot of people based on one decision because I like to you know take my disease of my family disease and spread it everywhere. I had to take four months off work because that allergy was so bad. You know, when I speak of you guys. And so I had to be separated. I, I, there was no hospital. I worked, oddly enough, I worked at a hospital and I had a really good union and I was a shop steward. So it was almost impossible for, we both were in a union. Someone had to leave. I did. He was not willing. And so once my body, once the, once it left me, you know, once that physical factor left me, I was, I was able to be approached, you know, I could go back to work. I could, it's like an alcoholic, you know, I sponsor a lot of alcoholics and they're bartenders. I work with a lot of beautiful women, bartenders, waitresses. They it's, it's been removed. It's gone. So I could go back to work and it was, but it was imperative that, that my brain, my body be cleared before I could even return to any type of normal life. So that really resonates for me. You know, I have an allergy. What's an allergy? An abnormal reaction. And if I have an allergy, we have an allergy. I have an abnormal reaction to, to what? To not only to life, but to certain substances. And it says, you know, if I have a nut allergy, I'm not going to eat a nut. And do I have an, you know, I didn't, at the end of my addiction, you know, it's like you have a favorite brand of, you know, whatever it is, your favorite brand of cigarette. I had my favorite brand of man and I couldn't get under anyone to get over someone. It was him. He was going to be with me or not. And you know where that goes. It was really getting, it had an allergy. So I had to be separated from it. And then once I was approached by someone who was armed with the facts, I could understand and accept what this man, my sponsor had to offer. God, I love this book. Thank you for drift. I like to drift back because, you know, Justin and David's like, wow, I've come a long way. I can walk a free woman today. And going back here reminds me I was, I was under the bondage of self. I, I walk a free woman. Thank you. Hmm. Awesome, Nikki. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate you bringing a couple of those ideas in there that uh, I'll be following up with you here in a few minutes. David, why don't you uh, comment a little bit on some of the things that jumped out at you as we read through this reading? All right. Thank you, Justin. And thank you, Nikki, for a beautiful share. As always, I love hearing the way that you pick apart the book. I can most definitely relate to that. 
I love this part because this really begins to tell me what's wrong. This is why I can't get better because I have the idea that it only centers in my mind. And if I will do mental health practices, I'm going to be okay. But see, I don't realize until I read this with somebody who knows how to read that I'm suffering from something more than a mental condition here. And so you, you brought it out. And so did Nikki, you know, when it said in this statement, he confirms that's a confirmation. What we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body is quite as abnormal as its mind. I don't need to go to a doctor and write a book or read a book in order to know that there is something wrong with my mind when I come into these rooms. I know that. I'm quite convinced of that. And so is the state of Oklahoma and a lot of other places. But what I don't realize is that statement that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. That's a hell of a statement to wrap my mind around. And it says it did not satisfy us to be told we could not control our drinking because we're maladjusted life, full flight from reality, outright mental defects. These things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent with some of us. But this one word right here is going to change this entire paragraph. But <laughs> that's always the game changer. We're sure our bodies are sickened as well. And my sponsor had me stop right there. He said, are you sure? Are you absolutely sure of that? And I was not. And so I had to spend some time really reflecting back on, on experiences throughout my life. I have a daughter that lives over in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she is every one of these things that described outright mental defect, maladjusted to life, all of this. But when she puts a drink or whatever it may be into her system, the same thing doesn't happen to her that happens to me. Therefore, I have the allergy and she doesn't. And why? I don't know. I don't try to figure that out. But he says right there, in our belief, and we're going to look at concepts, ideas, beliefs. We're going to look at prejudice, all of these different things that make up the self. But he says, in our belief, the picture of any alcoholic or whatever your addiction may be, that leaves out the physical factors incomplete. So... If you, like me, are struggling to get sober and you can't, then you might want to look at what I had to look at, and it's more than just the mind. I'm trying to have an awakening to overcome this, but I'm not realizing there's something physically wrong with me here. <clears throat> so he says, the doctor's theory, remember at this time, it's still a theory. It's just his opinion. That's going to change on the next page. But right here, it says that, the allergy to alcohol interests us. For me, that's a question. Does that interest me? Do I have any interest in that? Do I have any interest in pursuing that? Uh, it says, as ex-problem drinkers, what a promise. I love seeing ex-problem. Uh, it's not a problem anymore, but it says this makes good sense. It explains many things which we could not otherwise account. And so, but what Nikki was sharing on there about it, it's imperative that a man's brain be clear before he's approached. Then he has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. We're not just offering sobriety here. Hell, if you want to do that, we'll tell you how. Don't drink. Don't drug. Don't fall in love. Don't, don't do whatever it is that gets you sick. But every time you stop doing that, if you have something that shows up within the mind and beats you back to that every single time, then you begin to understand that we've got something else that we're here to offer. And that's an awakening from self. And so I was working with a lot of newcomers in the early days and they would come in and most of them would still have alcohol on their breath. And, and, you know, of course, you know, we'd work together, read together a little bit and they'd fall out drunk. 
And I was getting really irritated and aggravated about this. And I was talking to my sponsor one day and he brought me back to this. He said, read this carefully. More often than not. So that's a lot. It's imperative, keyword, that his brain be cleared before he's approached with this book, with these steps. Then he's going to have a better chance of understanding, accepting what we have to offer. Not before. Get him to meetings. Help him to understand the unity part of this. Help him to understand it's going to require service at some point. Then start bringing him into the recovery part of the book. And that's what I started doing. And I began to see that, you know, people begin to have a chance to recover at that point. When I work with a lust addict, he, he absolutely has to be free of lust for a little while. And some people say, oh, well, you know, this, I don't care. I don't care. I go by the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and it says it's imperative. And that's a pretty damn strong word in my book imperative that his brain be clear before he's approached with this message. So I love it. It is great stuff. I know if anybody would have approached me any sooner, uh, I probably wouldn't be here today, but when the time is right, the time is right. So we will be looking at the second letter here pretty soon. And he's going to use the word I versus we or we versus I. And so pretty soon he's going to have the support of other doctors. We know, I think it was in 1972, this became medically known as a disease. And at that point, up until this point, it had never been that. It had just been his opinion. So these letters were written in 1937. And a year later, the book was written. So, yeah, good stuff here. Good stuff. This man knew before they ever put it into a book what was going on with us. The only man in history that God, even since biblical times, ever gave the intuition and insight there's something wrong with these men's bodies. And so it's beautiful how he had this. Later on, we're going to read about Dr. Jung, who had under understanding of the spiritual awakening, but knew nothing of the allergy. This man knows of the allergy, but really nothing of the awakening. And through Bill, these two people come together, and it's just like, here it is. And so beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for letting me share. Yeah, thank you, David. I appreciate that. And I'll follow up on on a, one of those points that you just made there. But I want to talk a little bit to one of the things that jumped out of me during this reading. Um, and it's one of those that um, though we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as an altruistic plane, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery and befogged. As I read that, I see it almost in reverse from my own experience. I was jittery and befogged and I was insane and I needed I needed a solution. I wanted to go to the equivalence of a a hospital, I guess, and get fixed. I wanted somebody to give me the magic pill that would just cure me. And then I could go on and live my life uh, normally and not have to worry about any of the things that were bedeviling me for 30 plus years, you know? And, uh, and I've learned and, and, and the, the spiritual and the altruistic plane that had no part in my mind. My thought was get me fixed get me to stop acting out, get me to stop these behaviors, and I'll be all better. I won't have to worry about anything else. But in in the book, it talks about the spiritual and the altruistic and the hospitalization period. You know, I thought it would be like, hey, you know, I've got a broken bone. Let's put a cast on it. Six weeks later, I'm fixed. I'm good. I can rehab it a little bit, a little bit of PT, and, and I'll be good. I'll be throwing a ball again real soon. Or, but But what I've learned for myself now as I've been in, in recovery for a long time, a long time and I'm working these this program I've recovered I'm not just a knee surgery away from being healed I 
I had a full heart, lung, liver, kidney transplant, and I have to take my medications daily so that my body, the natural man in me, doesn't reject those things. And that's that's the spiritual and the altruistic plane. And the hospitalization period was the, you know, the the I guess the the transplant. And that that's something that really hit me there. And I really appreciate you guys going through this and and uh, helping me see that again. All right, let's jump over here. I've got a couple of questions. Nikki, I want to ask you a question on the allergy. Um, you know, in here, we've talked a little bit about the allergy to alcohol. What does the allergy look like in a process addiction as opposed to like, like alcohol? Okay. Well, for Mike's, this is my experience, strength and hope. Like it's remember page 22, and this is so vital. It says our behavior patterns vary. So please, everybody, you have to look for the similarities, not the differences. Well, Nikki does that. David does that. Our behavior patterns vary. It's the same with the alcoholics. Some people drink whiskey. Some people can have a glass of wine. Can you know? It's a wine. Winos. It's there's no difference. But what does it look like? Because I sponsor a lot. It looks like one scroll turns into seventeen hours later. It looks like I'm just going to look at the porn. And they are 16 years later sober in their parents' basement. No, sorry, in their own basement because now they're 63. And but they've been sober. You understand? And they and they have no life, no money. What does it look like? It looks like, oh, I can just play a lot of scratch card and they're a hundred thousand dollars in debt, thinking of ways to kill themselves. It looks like one bite, you know, the allergy, and it just kicks off. And one bite and they're on a binge and a purge or they're just on an eating fest and they have now broken the scale at 300. It it gets real. What does it look like? It looks like, you know, I'll just go and linger and I'll just go maybe meet this person one time. And now here it is this, especially with relationships. Now they're out, not on a spree. Yes. With a, with a woman or a man or whatever they're into, but they've had to pick up a bag of cocaine. Recently, I sponsored somebody and, you know, he just oh, went to church and then, you know, he took a friend to church and you know what happened on the way home with the friend. And then where to, after he dropped the friend off, guess where after he dropped her off, he went and picked up a baggie of crack. So that's what that looks like, the allergy, because then it leads to other things that opens up the doors to everything. Or it looks like this thought, too, when you don't need anything and maybe someone out there can relate. That's why I say everyone's welcome is it looks like this one thought I'm no good. And then the next thought is I should die. He doesn't like me. She doesn't like me. I should kill myself. And those are people from, you know, I sponsor. So one person I was sponsoring and they had no addiction, really no addiction. And it was like, Oh my gosh, she's addicted to her thinking. And we go through the big book and we cross out drink and we put out think the X problem thinker. Oh, you know, and she's she's been on your podcast. She's a firecracker. And there's just so many miracles that I get to watch. But that's what it looks like with the process. It's, again, an allergy is an abnormal reaction to any food, beverage, substance of any kind, any abnormal behavior. And so when my lover says he doesn't want me anymore and I plan a murder, that's an abnormal reaction or behavior. Wouldn't you say so? <laughs> 
Yeah, thank you, Nikki. And and you mentioned the ex-problem drinker, ex-problem thinker. And that's that's where my question comes to you, David. David, what does, I mean, we self-identify in the rooms as an alcoholic, as a as an addict of whatever variety, whether we're, we identify as a recovered or re- recovering or whatever it may be. But in here, it talks about the ex-problem drinker. What's how, how does that reconcile? I identify as an addict or an alcoholic and I, be, I can become an ex-problem drinker. How does that reconcile? Well, I love the, the question. Thank you, Justin. And thank you, Nikki, for your, for your share as well. Drinking, thinking, drugs, lust, whatever it may be, that's only a symptom of the problem. So to be an ex-problem of any of that, first I must discover what the true problem is. And at the top of 23, it says that main problem centers in the mind. And as we move through the book, then so does the solution. Because at certain times, we're going to have no effective mental defense against it. Not all the time, but at certain times. And so for me, as soon as I put it down, I'm, 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 I'm already an ex-problem drinker. But I haven't gotten rid of the problem yet because I continue to think drinking is the problem and or lusting or whatever, all those things she described. But when I stop doing those, then the real problem begins to show up and it shows up angry and it shows up very full of pity and, and all of these different things, you know, and seeking uh, someone else to make me better and. And that's what we're going to learn in the book, that that is the self. And so until that is gone, really, I'm not a next problem. I'm still I'm just abstinent at this point. So for me to be a next problem drinker or any of those things she described, I must first have had to have had an awakening from what the true problem is. And we're going to see that on page 45 of this book. You know, lack of power, that is my dilemma, not lack of belief, not lack of choice, not lack of faith, not lack of trust, lack of power. That's my dilemma. And it's the purpose of the book is to to show us precisely how to recover from this. And once we do that, then drinking and lusting and bad relationships and all of these other things that we've talked about overeating, none of that exists here. We found neutrality now. We've been we're safe and protected, not from those things, but from the thing that drove us to those things. That's the problem. Thank you, Justin. Man, good stuff. Thank you, David. All right, man. I really appreciate these additional insights, Nikki. What is what is a takeaway that you've gotten from this that you're going to take and put into your life and your work with others or work with yourself? Well, that's a great question. I take away so much always, but I think my main takeaway is just that you know I have to remember that I like to live full flight from reality, you know, and 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 the reality of it is it's it's what David was just talking about. It's like you know the ex problem thinker. Well, I just I've, I'm thinking constantly about how much God loves me. That's what you guys keep me to do. It's what David talked about. I can't remember if it was this episode, the last episode, the the triangle, how, how I'm in unity and service. And, and I have recovered from a seemingly, it's not true anymore. I'm an intelligent agent spearhead of God's ever advancing creation. So, you know, I have to remember that I am full flight from reality when I am not tapped into the source of power 
This is power we're talking about, not mediocre recovery. We're talking about power. So I just, I love having my mind in the truth. What, what you know, I would call the word. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. David, same question. What's the, what's a takeaway that you've gotten from our discussion and the reading today that you'll be applying into your life today? Well, first of all, let me thank both of you again for, for this wonderful uh, discussion of the ta- of the roundtable here. And for me, the, the biggest takeaway from this is that I never forget any action that I take outside of a thought creates a reality, either good or bad. And that sets up an allergic reaction that demands more of the same. So today is not a theory that we have an allergy. Today is fact. And so what I will continue to practice in my life is step 10, which has me to watch for those things. And as long as I can see them coming at me, I can do the other four suggestions that's outlined on page 84 after I see it. That keeps me from taking action on that, which creates the reality. So all of this is doing is leading us to where we can see what self is doing, have an experience from that, and then continue to watch for it daily. So it no longer becomes a living part of our life. We're able to put that to rest and be of service to God and our fellow man. So that's my takeaway. Thanks, Justin. And thank you, David. Thank you, Nikki. My my quick takeaway on this is one that I've I've had many times before. I've had this insight, but it was just drilled in a little bit deeper today. You know, abstinence, sobriety is not well. Um, that's just the beginning. And and really that's just <laughs> just a small part of this recovery process. When I stop the behavior, when I stop the substance, when I stop those things, sure, that's vital because without that. I don't have a program of recovery, but man, it's just the beginning. And if I stop there, I'm in trouble. If I just stop at the hospitalization period and say, I've stopped, it's not going to last very long. And that's my takeaway today. All right. Thank you both for being here. And thank you all in the uh, listening audience for joining with us to learn more about RICO 12 and what we're doing and how you can support these projects. Please go to Rico12.com to learn more about any of the other projects that David and Nikki discussed and are working on. Please check out the links in the show note of this podcast and get into the work and experience and experience the miracles of recovery with us. Come join in this fellowship of the spirit and come trudge this adventurous and amazing road of happy destiny with us. Work it. You are worth it. 